Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast? Let's go to today's message from Claire Gagler. a seat. It's such a beautiful sense of God's presence in the room right now. Do you guys, are you, are you, I'm not the only one sensing that, right? Okay, good. I'm so glad because God is at, at work in our church and I am sensing Him here right now. I feel like there is such a hunger for Him in the room. Is that you? Yeah, is there, yeah I love that. And I, I'm totally picking that up, that there are people in this room, maybe you're online as well, and you're just, you're hungry for the presence of God and it's tangible in here. And I'm so grateful that you've come to church and you have that expectation. And I, um, I love this sense in the room. I love this sense in the room. It reminds me of um, what uh, Tanya was challenging us and reminding us of a staff team this week in our staff meeting. She said, hey, after Easter, uh, there, there was this period of like 50 days before the Holy Spirit was poured out for the first time on the church. And I, I have this image and it has not, I've not been able to get it out of my head of the disciples in the room sort of gathered together with this same sense of expectation that we have right now of God, I want you to move. I'm not sure how it's gonna look. I'm not sure how it's gonna happen, but I'm expecting something. You promised something and I'm gonna stay here until I get it. And I love that sense in the room now. And I, and I, as I reflected on that this week and as I'm sensing that now, I think back to this time a couple thousand years ago. What a difference a week makes because only a week prior, those disciples were huddled in a room again on Easter Saturday, wondering, is it all over now? Is it, is it finished now? All our hopes are gone now? Is this, well, I don't know, they're waiting and they're, they're also anticipating, but they're anticipating death, they're anticipating dispersion. What a difference a week makes. What a difference Jesus makes, hey? The difference a week can make. And to be honest, I relate with that. You know, I, I, I sense this beautiful hunger and expectation in the room, but I can also relate to what the disciples were feeling like a week earlier on Easter Saturday, because last Sunday, I woke up, it was Easter Sunday. Who was here on Easter Sunday? So good to see you guys again. Um, and uh, I, I woke up, it was about 5 a.m. I was getting ready. I was thinking about the day ahead. I was reflecting. I was trying to wake up. <laughs> trying to remember why I was waking up so early. (laughs) And I sat there and I started to get ready and think about what we were about to celebrate and what was to come in the day. And what something you may not know about our Sunday routine is that we leave really early in the morning with our whole family. We're out of the house by like 7.30 at the latest. And um, every time we leave, it seems like all my neighbours are out on the street as well. (laughs) And uh, we have neighbours across the road who are both nurses and quite often they'll be coming home from night shift as we're pulling out of our driveway and getting ready. Um, Some other people on the street, we see their dates leaving early in the morning. (laughs) And uh, we say, hi. (laughs) And I just, I always, and you know, it happens every Sunday and as I'm getting ready, I'm anticipating this happening and I'm doing my hair and putting on my suit jacket and my heels and I'm sitting there, I'm like getting my big old Bible ready to carry out. I'm like, I must look so strange. I must look so strange to these people. <laughs> and then it got me kind of thinking, you know, I, it was a bit of a slippery slope. I was like, yeah, yeah, well, to be honest, they're not wrong. 
It is a little bit strange what I'm about to celebrate. You know, like God became a man, then he died for me. He didn't know me yet, but he, like he died for me 2,000 years ago. I didn't know him. And then he raised back to life, never to die again. And now he's given me his presence, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. And I just sat there thinking about all of this and how strange I must look and all those times where I've um, made friends and uh, they, <laughs> they find out that I'm a Christian and they give me that look like, oh, I didn't know you were weird. <laughs> all of this was like running through my mind as I'm getting ready for Easter Sunday. And you know, I was watching the sunrise. It was a beautiful sunrise on Easter Sunday morning. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the sun was rising. I said, God, it would be great you could just like rip open the sky, like angels could come down and do their thing. And you could speak in a voice saying, I'm real. And all my neighbours could hear it. That'd be great. Because then when I walk out in my driveway, I'm, I'm going to feel a little less strange. <laughs> and I just said, <laughs> I feel you. And, uh, you know, it's, I just, you know, sometimes you feel like you have these moments. I hope I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. When, uh, you know, the last 20 years, I've had a few of these moments and uh, they're kind of like flashes in the pan of this question. And I just, you know, every time I just wish everyone could know, you know, because I know that Jesus has made a, a real difference for me. I just wish everybody could know that. And so I was kind of like waiting for God to like do the heavy lifting on that and just tell everybody and then they'd know. So I sat there waiting. It was a weird way to start Easter Sunday. (laughs) But it's not unlike what the disciples were experiencing waiting for the Holy Spirit, right? After that first Easter. That desire to see God move, no guarantee that it would happen, just a commitment to keep waiting, to go on a, a promise. And that's exactly what the first Christians were experiencing. And that desire for God, that hunger, that sense of anticipation, expectation, that question, that gap between what you're hoping for and what you're feeling right now, I don't wanna ignore that. I don't wanna skip over it. I wanna lean into that tonight. That's where, we, that's where we're gonna pitch our tent and make camp because I know that there will be people in this room who have questions about God, just like I had a question about Him last Sunday. There will be people who aren't following Jesus but have like a laundry list of questions of things they wanna check out. There's always people like that in the room. And what's so wonderful is that you're not the first person to ask those questions and uh, you're not gonna be the last person to ask those questions. And what I find so fascinating and comforting is that contemporaries of Jesus also had these questions of Him. And, but they could walk up to Him, they could touch Him on the arm, they could look Him in the eye and they could ask their questions to Him. And Jesus' response to their questions and their doubts and their concerns was recorded for us in the Bible. So I wanna um, take one of those stories today and actually dive into that and uh, figure out what we do with that sensation of like, where are you, God? What are you doing? I want you to show up. I wanna know your reality. So we're going to be hanging out in uh, Luke chapter 7 today. So you can open up your Bible and head there. And, and this, this uh, story is uh, really centred around the, the person called John the, the Baptizer. He was a contemporary of Jesus. He was Jesus's cousin. And uh, he'd uh, had a really successful ministry. And um, his ministry and his calling from God was really to um, call the nation of Israel to repent and be baptised. So he was called John the Baptist, not because he went to a Baptist church, but because he baptised people, that was his thing. And so he would baptise people continually in the river. And then when Jesus showed up and asked to be baptised too, John had known 
Like John had known and he had proclaimed who Jesus really was. He knew. But suddenly a few chapters later, only in chapter seven, not even that far in, we see that John is actually in prison now. So let's recap what's happened for John because like full-time, huge ministry, prison, what's happened? All right, so he did have a successful ministry, huge impact. Everybody knew about John. It was really well publicised. Heaps of people repenting, returning to God in a way that was uh, true life change. They were hungry for God. The people who were a part of his ministry, John had disciples. Um, And when Jesus came on the scene and started his ministry, some of John's disciples actually left his ministry and went to Jesus's ministry. So he lost a few disciples there. But regardless, like John just kept running in his lane. He kept doing his thing, what God had called him to do. Um, He kept preaching holy living. And John, I like John because um, he's just unafraid of what anyone thinks, right? And so he isn't afraid to challenge those in power, um, especially uh, when they're living in a way that doesn't honour God, which, you know, as it it would seem, that's what landed him in prison. He challenged the king and said, hey, your marriage is illegitimate. That's going to send you straight to prison, love. <laughs> oh no. So this is why, why he's ended up in prison. And in that dark place, he has some questions for Jesus. And you can imagine that John is feeling a little down, right? It wouldn't be too, too far to say, hey, he might even be feeling disappointed, a little bit jaded, maybe a little bit over it. I don't know if you can relate to that. And I said before that there'll be people who have their questions and their doubts about Jesus, but then there will be people in the room here who every Sunday there's people who are just feeling that same sense of disappointment. When I run through John's story of how it was so good and then how it's so not good at the time, you, you're sensing that, like you're relating to that really strongly. Maybe as I tell you that story, you're, you know, you're recalling your disappointment with your current situation or with your ministry, or you're wondering if what God has asked you to do is what He would still ask you to do. You're just not sure anymore. And then there's like a whole bunch of other people in the room and and you're like, I'm not column A, I'm not column B, but you're here primarily, you just want God to be your breakthrough this week. You're just hoping that He comes through for you. Jesus, come through this week. That's your prayer today. Then there's like a whole bunch of other people in the room as there is every week. And you're passionately following Jesus. Your faith is strong, it's unshakable. You're loving life, you're loving the Lord. And before that last group switch off and think, oh, this is a message for people who are struggling. I just wanna wanna challenge you that there is something in this story for all of us tonight. There's something in here for every single person. God wants to encounter you and to challenge you and to grow you in this story. So I hope you're all paying attention. Let's read what happens in this story and what John does with his question. So Luke 7, verse 18 to 20 says, John's disciples told John about all the things that Jesus was doing. So he called two of them and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one that who is to come or should we expect someone else? So the men came to Jesus and they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And the first takeaway from this story today, from this encounter between John and Jesus, is that Jesus welcomes all of your doubts and questions. Jesus welcomes your doubts and questions. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have a doubt, like maybe like I did last Sunday, or perhaps you have a disappointment in the church, fellow Christians, or just like disappointment with your state in life at the moment, my encouragement to you would not just to be like to sit in that and just like let it happen to you or to take it to everyone else but God. 
I would challenge you to allow God to have a look in on your questions and your doubts. See, what I love about this story is that John is like so unafraid of everybody. And so he just like bails up Jesus straight up. And he's not afraid to ask his question pretty straight. I mean, <laughs> this guy is bold. And what I also love is Jesus acknowledges the question and, I, and he responds to it. I love that Jesus doesn't say like, John, you can't ask that here. Like in my head, this is like the scene is very much like we have tonight, like a few hundred people, um, John's disciples come up and Jesus is mid-ministry and someone asks a question. And, and Jesus doesn't stop and say, a little bit, like come to me when it's more of a private moment. Like I have some content that I think will really help you. Um, just come when it's dark, Nicodemus style, and we'll, I'll help you out. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. He's not shamed by your doubt. He welcomes it. And Jesus is okay to receive and answer your questions if you ask him in a public way. It's, he's, he answers them in a public way. Jesus will meet you wherever you ask, like come to Him. And what I love in uh, Psalm 145, it says this, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth, to those who call on Him in truth. And John sent his disciples straight to the source. Hey, Jesus, I'm not in prison for nothing, right? I didn't lose my ministry for nothing, right? Like you're, you're the one who we were expecting, Right? And coming to Jesus in truth means two things. The first, it means that you're truthful in the way that you show up to Jesus. You need to show up to Jesus in all of the truth of who you are and what you're experiencing. There is no reason to hold back your doubts and your questions about God. Absolutely no reason at all. He wants you to show up in truth. The Bible assures that that, that He is close to those who call on Him in truth. So showing up to Jesus in all of your truth is part of coming to Him and calling on Him in truth. The other part of calling on Him in truth is allowing Him to answer you in the truth of who He is and allowing Him to present Himself as He really is. No matter how that sort of works with or doesn't work with your expectations, you have to have an openness to Jesus encountering you in all of His truth as well. See, God longs for you to encounter Him, longs for it. He is near to those who call on Him in truth. I mean, we do this all the time without even realising. Like last night, Zach came home from a football game and I'd locked the door because it was late and safety. And so I heard, I was sitting in the living room and I could hear him like open the gate. I could hear him walk up onto our porch. I could um, hear him fumbling for his keys. Now I had a pretty good idea that it was Zach. I wasn't sure because I wasn't like looking out the window like a stalker. But I, was, I, I thought, you know, it's the time that he said he'd get home. I knew he was walking home. I can hear someone looking for keys. It's probably Zach, but I didn't know, right? So in that moment, what do I do? Do I get on the phone? Hey, hey, yeah, look, I just have a question for you. I'm wondering if you could help me with some discernment. Um, just have a situation here. I'm wondering, do you, what's your sense? Do you think it's Zach or not? Yeah, if you could pray about it, that'd be great. No, I don't do that. I don't put it on my Instagram like, who do you think is at the door? <laughs> I don't do that. What do I do when I want to know who's at the door? I call out. Is that you, Zach? <laughs> yeah, it is. Do you have a key? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. I call out, I ask him. See, if you shut God out of your doubts and your concerns, he can't speak to them. 
If you want God to show you who He is, you have to seriously allow space for Him and the possibility for Him to actually respond to you. Let's see how Jesus responds to John. In verse 21, it said, at that very time, so this question gets asked and it's like Jesus is like, "Mm mm-hmm. At that very time, he starts doing this. He's cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits. He gave sight to those who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are raised, which is wild. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. And after John's messages left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now we're just gonna pause it there for a minute because here is how Jesus responds to John's question. He is basically ticking off the list of all of the things that the Messiah was meant to do. Are the dead raised? Tick. Are the blind seeing? Tick. Are the deaf hearing? Tick. He's, he's crossing them off. And he says, do you see all of this? Does that answer your question, John? And he sends the messengers on there. I say, blessed if you don't stumble because of me. Then immediately afterwards, he turns to all of the followers, the people, the faithful who were gathered. And he says this, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind, very evocative of where John did his ministry down by the river. If not, what did you go out to see? Like a man dressed in fine clothes? No. <laughs> Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces, not in the desert. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yeah. And I tell you, more than a prophet. Our next takeaway from this encounter with Jesus is that Jesus speaks to the inner motivations and expectations that we have. I said before that there'll be people in the room whose faith is feeling like pretty rock solid. You're in a happy place with God. It's easy to believe. It's easy to feel like you're called and operate um, alongside Him. And, And this is the part of the passage that's for you and for I. I haven't always been in this place, but I am today. And this is the part that really hits home for us, I think. You know, sometimes in communities of faith, when someone expresses doubt, or disappointment, we often don't know how to respond. And what's needed for an encounter with God is the ability to show up and be truthful. But as soon as the Christians get some sort of hint of like someone's true doubt or true question, mm, they they don't like it. And the saints come marching in with all their unhelpful advice and like overly spiritual advice. And it's a lot. And it can actually be really damaging to people. People who are desperate for Jesus to answer their doubts. We don't like it when other people have doubt. I don't know why. Like maybe we're worried that their doubt could become our doubt. I don't know. Just the other week, I had a friend post on their stories that they were um, actively investigating and deconstructing their Christian faith. Not uncommon for young adults these days. And uh, they had posted that. And then the very next tile on their slide was instructions to all of their Christian friends to please not offer bad advice like, you're just going through a dry season or come back to church, I'll sit with you or here's the latest Maverick City album link. (laughs) And my heart broke for them because here they were with an honest question, an honest doubt, something they were keen on honestly and openly investigating with no predetermined outcome. And they felt the need and had the full expectation that the people of God would not be able to meet them in that place. We need to do better. 
It's easy to think that faith is easy for others when faith is easy for you. And if I was watching on in this moment between John's disciples and Jesus, I'm not above saying that I would probably fall into the faithful camp today (laughs) and I'd probably slip into some sort of pity or judgment. I'd be sitting there and be like, did you just hear what Jesus said? (laughs) Blessed are those who don't stumble on account of me. (laughs) John's stumbling. (laughs) John must be stumbling. Have you heard that John's stumbling? I know we should really pray for him some more. It's so sad, isn't it? (laughs) This is what we do. But Jesus reminds us and strongly reminds us. He turns to us after he's answered that question. He turns to all the people who are faith-filled, who have seen him do amazing things, who are ready to believe, and he asks his own question to us. And that question is this, what did you come out to see? What did you come out to see? He reminds us we all had this question at one point. And he kind of gives us three options to consider their motivations for gathering together, their motivations for seeking God and doing what we do as Christians. And I think we all operate from these and Jesus like really directly addresses them. So he says, what did you go out to see? A reed swayed by the wind. And yeah, it's a reference to where John did his ministry. But it's also like that picture of something just with no backbone, just getting blown this way, that way, whatever, wherever the wind's blowing, that's where I'm going kind of thing. And it feels like, you know, I don't really have a backbone. <laughs> Maybe it's like, what did you come out to see? Like a place where there's no conflict because whenever I see it, I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna go over here and I'm never gonna bump up against you because I'm just gonna go around you. I'm just like this toing and froing is not gonna help you. It's not gonna build your faith in the face of real life. It can't be the answer to the question that you're asking. No, you didn't come out to see a reed swayed by the wind. You didn't come out to see the latest fancy thoughts or the latest fashion or the latest ideology explained to you. You didn't come to see that. What did you go out to see then? Someone dressed in fine clothes? This is a lull, because John wore camel skin. (laughs) I hope you didn't come out expecting to see someone in fancy clothes today because look at this, stand up, Zach, Josh. (laughs) And anyone else wearing a denim jacket, white shirt, black jeans and sneakers. (laughs) What did you come out to see? (laughs) Like the latest sneakers? (laughs) These are from Kmart. (laughs) Mate. I really hope you didn't come out to see that. Let's take it away from fashion. Did, it come, did you come out to see a really slick ministry experience? If the worship was a little, mm, take a half a star off my Google review. Did you come out to see something that's so polished and, and it's entertaining, something where you don't have to dig in and get planted and contribute because you can just come in, come out. You never really have to play your part. Did you come out to see someone dressed really, really well? Yeah. The people with Jesus didn't go out into the desert for those things, yeah? And you and I didn't come to church today for those things either. When you have deep questions, you don't want shallow answers. You came out to see a prophet, Jesus said, and you came out, you and I came out tonight to see if God is real. You you and I came out to see if, if He still cares about all this mess. You came out to see if He is still speaking. 
He came out to see if He's still listening to you. And He is real and He does care. And He's still speaking and He's still listening. And all the rest can format and change and move and distract, but He never does. His character is consistent. His love is constant. He never changes. That's what we came out to see. And an actual encounter with the living God is an undeniable experience. You may walk away from the way of Jesus. That could be your choice, but you can't unencounter Him once you have encountered Him. And Jesus reminds everybody there in that moment and His words are echoing to us today. The reminder of what we truly came out here tonight to seek. Jesus not only welcomes your questions, He deliberately leaves room for them. And we have to be okay with that. You see, Jesus is who He is and He will do what He does, but He is never going to give you overwhelming proof of His identity. Like what I wanted last Sunday of the sky to rip open, He's not gonna do it. He's never gonna leave you with no choice but to accept Him. Because how would you have the free choice to follow Him and love Him if He showed up and deafened and blind you with all of His glory? How, where would be the choice? Where would be the choice? And He wants your love. Jesus really wants you to encounter Him and He will give you not answers, but He will give you enough to have an encounter. I remember the first time I encountered Jesus. I heard an audible voice behind me. I was sitting down on the grass. I heard an audible voice from like this height. And it said, you'll be doing what she's doing one day. And she was preaching doing what I'm doing now. You're gonna build the church. And that night I was filled with the Holy Spirit for about three hours. I, I had an experience that I can only describe as an uh, like uncontainable joy. I was seven years old. I had an undeniable encounter and an undeniable calling, but the encounter didn't answer all of my questions. In fact, it probably just left me with more. How am I meant to preach when I can't even make friends? How am I meant to explain to all of my friends at public high school that I know what I'm here on this earth to do and it has nothing to do with biology? How am I meant to explain to them that I know what I'm made for? Luke seven twenty nine says this, all of the people... Even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they hadn't been baptised by John. And Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? You can kind of hear his sass coming through a little bit, maybe of his exasperation. He says, what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played a song for you and you didn't dance. So we played a sad song for you and you didn't cry. For John the Baptist came and he didn't eat and he didn't drink wine and you said, oh, he's weird, he has a demon. The son of man, I came eating and drinking and you say, he's a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all of her children. This passage here tells me that you will always have an excuse to write off Jesus you will always have some sort of reason that you can find to write him off. And the difference between those who have faith and those who do not have faith is not that the faithful have all of the answers. It's that they've had an encounter. And it's normal to encounter Jesus and still have your questions go unanswered. I had questions after I encountered him and that's because Jesus is singing a song and inviting you to dance. He's not trying to win a debate. And if nothing else today, I want that to be your takeaway. 
Because your situation may not change. It didn't change for John. Your question may not be answered. You may not receive an instant healing. You may still have disappointment lying ahead in your future with people or a situation, but there is something that surpasses all of those things and is good in those places still. And that is this, that Jesus satisfies. Not through encounter. He does it through encounter, not answers. Yeah, come on, give him a hand. Why not? I love it. (laughs) Jesus satisfies. And this is why John, sitting in prison, one, knowing how bad his situation is, and two, knowing how good God is meant to be, sends his disciples with only one question. And it's not, Jesus, please break me out of jail. The question is this, are you the saviour that we've been waiting for? John asked the right question. John asked the true question. And God is near to those who call on him in truth, isn't he? And Jesus answered John with a demonstration of supernatural power, of respectful compassion. And then because John had his question answered, John had what he needed to transform his situation. His surroundings didn't change, but in that prison cell, he still had a freedom that the world could not take away. When you are certain of who Jesus is, your whole situation can stay the same, but it can still be transformed. So how do you encounter God like that? This day and age, when you can't walk up to Him and ask Him your question and look Him straight in the eye. How do you encounter Jesus like that? My encouragement to you is not to seek answers in slick services or fancy thoughts, but to seek and expect an encounter with Jesus. Because you can't fake an encounter, because God only responds to truth. And you can't force an encounter, but you can seek it. And here's how. If you wanna have an encounter with God, I think there are two things that you can do and apply immediately. You can do it tonight. We're gonna do it later. The first is to presence yourself in an environment that's ripe for an encounter. Okay, so how do you know you're in a place that's ripe for an encounter? You look for evidence of Jesus at work. You look for people who are faithful to Him despite their doubts and questions. They're still showing up in truth to God. And then you look for evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. You're looking for signs and wonders. You're looking for fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You're looking for the fruit of faith. This is why Jesus demonstrated a whole bunch of stuff to John and said, see, here's your answer. Because that is an encounter moment with God. When faithful people trust and submit to God, the dead can be raised, the blind can see, injustice can be made right. That's evidence that you're in a place that is ripe for an encounter with God. Put yourself in that place. The second thing you can do is act in faith. You know, after I encountered Jesus at the age of seven, I just... Left it for ages, years and years. And at some point, I was around about 14, I just had to acknowledge that what I had had wasn't just an impression of Jesus. It wasn't just a thought or a theory of Jesus. It had been an encounter. And if it was real, it changes everything. And I had grown up in the church and I had no um, individual basis for understanding my faith for myself. I thought I wouldn't know if I'd been brainwashed from a young age. I don't understand if the um, claims of Jesus or His life, His ministry, His death on the cross have any factual basis in normal people's history at all. And so as a 14-year-old, I would get tertiary level (laughs) textbooks out from the history section and I'd start reading um, Josephus and antiquitarian historians and trying to understand what what is Roman um, 
um, governance like? How could this have happened to someone? Was there any record of Jesus other than what I read in the Bible? And I had all of these questions because I needed to know, is it real? Is it real? And I had so many questions. I read those really thick books for months, like nine, 10, 11 months as a 14 year old. And in the end, I realised I was never gonna have all of the answers. I had a lot more, but I didn't have all of them. But I had one answer in particular that carried more weight than all of the others. And it was this, he had been real to me. I couldn't deny it. I couldn't deny my encounter had been real. And so I started my faith journey of submitting every area of my life to Jesus eight years after I encountered Him. How did I, well, thanks. How did I act? I said to act in faith. What was I doing to act in faith? I started reading the Bible. I planted myself in a local church and I started to expect God to meet with me, talk with me and send me out into my day every day. And I count the day that I started following Jesus, not from the day that I encountered Him, but from the day I started to do something about that encounter. You need to act in faith. James 2 says this, in the same way, faith by itself is, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. Faith without action is dead. And this is what Jesus was referring to in the last verse of this story. It's weirdly worded in English. Wisdom is proved right by all of her children. But that word children can also be translated as dependence and submission and obedience. So the right way of living, the right understanding, the answer to your question is proved by your obedience, your submission, your surrender. Act on your faith. So Luke records that those who had acted, who had been baptised, were able to begin following Jesus quicker and in a deeper way than those who were standing by still waiting for answers to their questions. Those who acted on their faith were able to receive Jesus as Lord, as King and experience an encounter with Him quicker and in a deeper way in that moment than those who hadn't acted yet. See, an encounter with Jesus will satisfy you like nothing else will. Let me recap here, when your faith is rocked and challenged, don't distance yourself from Jesus. Run to a place where you can encounter Him in truth. And at various points, you're gonna run into moments of doubt. I had one last Sunday, you will run into them if you haven't already. Jesus doesn't shame you for that. He just wants to encounter you in that place. Remember His question to you, what did you go out to see? You came out to see Him and He will answer you, He will meet you. The end result of coming to faith in God is not having answers, though Jesus certainly welcomes every question. His priority is just not to satisfy your curiosity. It just isn't. It's to satisfy your soul. And the hunger that we have in this world for belonging, for freedom, for purpose, to know love, those are the things that Jesus longs to impart to you as He encounters you. He welcomes you. He will speak to you. He satisfies you. He doesn't promise answers but He does promise peace. And He doesn't promise happiness, but in His presence is fullness of joy. An encounter with Jesus is what we need, church. That is what we need. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com. If you want any information about Riverview Church, you can find that at riverviewchurch.com.